Uh, stay standing. Christine Gilbert uh, is going to read the word for us this morning. Orange stars only uh, can take off to your class at Kidtown. All right. This is Exodus uh, 24, verses 1 to 11. Then the Lord said to Moses, Come up to the Lord, you and Aaron and Nadab and Abihu, and seventy of the elders of Israel. You are to worship at a distance, but Moses alone is to approach the Lord. The others must not come near, and the people may not come up with him. When Moses went and told the people all the Lord's words and laws, they responded with one voice, Everything the Lord has said we will do. Moses then wrote down everything the Lord had said. He got up early the next morning and built an altar at the foot of the mountain and set up 12 stone pillars representing the 12 tribes of Israel. Then he sent young Israelite men and they offered burnt offerings and sacrificed young bulls as fellowship offerings to the Lord. Moses took half of the blood and put it in bowls and the other half he splashed against the altar. Then he took the book of the covenant and read it to the people. They responded, we will do everything the Lord has said. We will obey. Moses then took the blood and sprinkled it on the people and said, this is the blood of the covenant that the Lord has made with you in accordance with all these words. Moses and Aaron, Nadab and Abihu, and the 70 elders of Israel went up and saw the God of Israel. Under his feet was something like pavement made of lapis lazilu, as bright blue as the sky. But God did not raise his hand against the leaders of the Israelites. They saw God and they ate and drank. The word of the Lord. Let's pray. Lord, uh, apply this uh, word uh, to our hearts as we prepare to come to the table. Uh, teach us, Lord Jesus, Holy Spirit, um, help us to receive what you have for us this morning. Uh, pray, uh, Lord, that we would see um, all the beauty of what uh, you accomplish uh, in this passage, as well as how this passage uh, shows forth uh, what you accomplished on the cross for us. Uh, so prep our hearts, uh, Lord, uh, for the feast and seeing you uh, we desperately need that. Uh, we ask this in your name. Amen. All right. Have a seat. <clears throat> so we, uh, we're ending the series in Exodus this morning. And um, if you know anything about your Bible, Exodus doesn't end in chapter 24. Uh, but a lot of 25 through 40 uh, is, is kind of unpacking what happens uh, in many ways and living into what happens in chapters 19 uh, to 24. But we're ending this series in this, uh, this ceremony of God confirming his covenant with the people of Israel. And um, it's, I, I'm going to ask you to think of it in many ways like a wedding uh, ceremony, that literally this is the moment where uh, there's been a lot of things that have transpired up until this point in the relationship between Israel and God, but they're at the day the big day where um, this covenant that God is making with them is being confirmed in this, in this ceremony and in this moment. 
This is the, the, the taking vows moment, uh, the bloodshedding moment of the covenant. And we're ending it uh, here because what's captured, I believe, in this, uh, these little 11 verses, um, not only I think you could argue are all the themes of the entire book of Exodus, but I think you could actually argue that it's all the themes of the entire Bible, that all of redemption is actually captured here in these 11 verses. Um, so there are four things that, not three, four today, a little extra, uh, that I want us uh, to consider that hopefully will bring us to the table with hearts uh, really full of joy, uh, celebrating the significance of what this table represents. Um, so the four things that we see in this passage, and we see these things throughout the Bible, but they're all right here. Uh, the first is this, um, there's a distance, and that distance produces fear. That's the first thing we see in here. The second thing is this, that another person's blood not our obedience is what's going to close the distance. The third thing is uh, that distance is closed so that we can now draw near to the Lord, which is what we do when we come to this table. And then the fourth thing, if we can get to it, uh, that our obedience, because they talk about we will obey, our obedience actually flows out of our nearness, not vice versa. We don't obey to get near. We obey because we've been brought near. Okay, so there's a distance, another's blood, not our obedience, closes that. We're meant to draw near, and out of that, we actually obey, all right? So the first thing, there's a distance. If you followed uh, what Christine read for us, you know, the Lord's inviting Moses up onto the mountain here and some of the 70 elders of Israel, and it says there right at the beginning, you are to worship at a distance. So a lot of commentators actually believe this is like the first recorded worship service in the history of, of Israel. Like this is really at the heart of what God is going after. It says, I'm, I'm teaching you what does it actually mean and what does it look like to enter into worship of me. But you are to worship at a distance. Moses alone is to approach the Lord. Others must not come near and the people may not come up with him. So the first thing that we see uh, this is kind of the no trespassing sign. I don't know. I actually did trespass earlier this week. Everybody's like, seriously? I did. There were some trespassing signs up on a house that is for sale in our neighborhood, and I was strolling our, our one-year-old, uh, so I was trespassing with a child. And uh, I wanted to see this house, and it's all overgrown with weeds and everything like that, and it's hidden up in a bunch of uh, trees that are overgrown. And, it, you know, it's, I mean, it's, it, this house has been abandoned for like a year. And just the fact that that sign was there, I mean, I'm like, okay, nothing's going to happen. Nobody's going to come arrest me. I'm just coming up to take a look at that. But just the fact that the sign was there, I was kind of freaked out. Like I kind of strolled up there and kind of doing the creeper thing where you're going around the house. And then we zip down through the front yard. No, you know, no trespassing. Keep your distance. This is what we see in this moment is, is God is saying something really, really profound. It's, it's important. And he's really protecting the people of Israel right now. He's saying, at this moment, you, you can't approach me. Like, I'm, I'm an unapproachable God. And, and they don't go into a lot of detail. Like, Moses doesn't go into a lot of detail right in this part of Exodus explaining what this experience would have been like for them. But there are other places in Exodus and there are other places in Scripture that talk a lot about what this experience would have been, and Hebrews is one of them. Listen to this from Hebrews. This is chapter 12, uh, verses 18 to 21. 
And he's, he's, he's talking about the mountain of the Lord for the people of Exodus, and then he's going to talk eventually about coming to Mount Zion. He says this, You have not come to a mountain that can be touched, and that is burning with fire. Burning with fire. To darkness and gloom and storm, to a trumpet blast, or to such a voice speaking words that those who heard it begged that no further word would be spoken to them because they could not bear what was being commanded. If even an animal touches the mountain, it must be stoned to death. The sight was so terrifying that Moses said, I am trembling with fear. No trespassing. Keep your distance. They begged that not another word would be spoken because they were so afraid. This moment when they're coming up to the mountain, this is a moment of literally uh, sheer terror. It's a, it's a, it is a holy moment where they are not confused. Um, you know, you've seen the t-shirt, Jesus or God is my homeboy, right? They aren't confused that God is not their homeboy at this moment. Like, you and I, we are not the same. Uh, we, we are literally cowering at this moment, realizing who Yahweh is. Because remember, they've been living, what, in, in slavery for generations now in Egypt, and now they've been set free, and they're in the desert, and they have no idea. I mean, they're just beginning to understand who God is. And they're just beginning to understand what does it mean for us to live in this freedom that you've called us to live in. And they're probably, in many ways, because of the Jethro moment that we talked about a few weeks ago, they're using their freedom poorly because of sin in their lives, right? And God is saying to them in this exodus, I will be your God, you will be my people. I am making a covenant with you. There in verse eight, this is the blood of the covenant that the Lord has made with you. He's saying, we're not entering into a covenant that as two equal parties we came to some agreement on. Like, you know, uh, you know we're under contract to buy the house, you know, and, and you and I agreed on the terms. This is something that I am making with you. And there's a problem. <laughs> and the problem is this. There's distance. There's distance between you and me. There's distance between the holiness, the righteousness, the perfection, the purity of God, all the things that the law displays. There's distance between the Lord and us, Israel, as the broken, fallen humanity that we are. And God is saying in this moment, I, I'm not going to compromise my character. I'm not going to compromise my standards. I'm not going to compromise my holiness, my righteousness, who I am. But I'm also, I'm not willing to lose the relationship. Remember why I brought you out of Egypt. I brought you out of Egypt because I'm bringing you to myself. So he's saying the bar, the bar's not just set high. <laughs> the bar is set where the bar is. He is the bar. And he's saying, if you're going to be in a relationship with me, you have to be like me. You have to be righteous. You have to be holy. You have to be pure. And the problem is, is that I can't be those things. <laughs> You know, is that what he's saying here? Is he saying just, come on, close the distance. 
just try harder. You know, is this the, um, the warped wall, an American Ninja Warrior, you know? That's what I find when I come to the law oftentimes is that's what it feels like. That every time I'm trying to run up that wall, I can't get to the top of the wall. And the more that I try, the, the actually the further the distance gets. And I realize I can't do it. It's an unclimbable peak. I cannot close the distance. And so the only way that the distance is going to get closed, the Lord shows here, and it's this, blood. Another's blood, not our obedience, is what is going to close the distance. So right after he says, okay, hey, you know, you guys, some of y'all come up a little bit of ways, and then Moses come all the way up, but most of y'all need to stay a long ways away from the hill, right? And after Moses goes up, Moses goes back and he goes and tells the people all the words and laws He basically goes back and tells them not only the Ten Commandments, but all of the case law that we see unfolded in the first five books of the Old Testament. He tells them all the words and laws, and with one voice they say this, everything the Lord has said we will do. I'm going to run up the warped wall, is effectively what they say there. Like, this is not the first time We've heard them say this, but I spent a little bit of time just pondering this week. What gives, like, what would give the Israelites at at this moment the confidence to actually say that statement? We will do everything that the Lord commands, we will obey. When you think about it in terms of how afraid they were, I I want you to think about this. That when I'm afraid, oftentimes what fear does is fear awakens pride in me. It's a real invitation when I'm afraid uh, to to turn in on myself and to awaken pride in me and find myself in a position of being overconfident or overestimating my capacity, right? Right? Fear oftentimes will make me write checks with my mouth that my body cannot cash, right? Fear also will make me do something that reflects the economy of most of our relationships that we experience in the world, and that's this. When I don't perform, I lose the relationship. Every single person in this room has had that experience and probably has had that experience this week. When I don't live up to my end of the bargain, what we agreed upon, the relationship is lost. There's distance created, right? And we know that distance is there, and how, do I, how am I going to close that distance? I'm going I'm to double down. I'm going to triple down. I'm going to try harder. It's the economics of most of the cultural love relationships we experience which is is what closes the distance is me. I close the distance with my effort. And fear awakens all that in me. I'm afraid. I'm afraid of being left. I'm afraid of being alone. So there's a part of me that really wonders if at this moment, if they're just not so afraid, they're like, okay, whatever. Whatever you ask, okay, whatever. 
I know I don't even know what I'm saying yes to, but I, whatever. Wrong fear will always drive me to wrong activity. Like an unhealthy fear. Because they, they should be, they, we should fear the Lord. There's, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. We're going to talk about in the wisdom literature this summer. So there's a healthy fear of the Lord, but there's also an unhealthy fear of the Lord. And when I have an unhealthy fear of the Lord, it drives me to a place of activity that he's saying, this is not what this is about. This is not about your effort and your sacrifice to gain and keep a relationship this is about you stepping into the grace, and that's what we see. I know it, it's mysterious, and it's kind of hard to see. We see it perfectly on the cross of Christ. The grace that a sacrifice of something else, an animal at this point, eventually Jesus, the perfect sacrifice, the sacrifice of something else or someone else, that's going to be the baseline of the relationship. Israel doesn't, and we can't expect them to but I can certainly invite us to. Israel doesn't really understand the heart of the Lord yet. In this covenant, this covenant that I'm making with you, you're not making this with me, I'm making it with you. I'm gonna bleed. I'm gonna be the one who's gonna be torn apart. I'm gonna be the one that's gonna be sprinkled on the altar and sprinkled on you to make the relationship work. It's like in Genesis 15 when God made the covenant with Abraham. Remember we talked about this a few weeks ago. This is how covenants were made is that an animal was literally torn apart and blood was everywhere and both parties would hold hands and walk through the pieces and basically effectively saying, may it be to me like these animals. May I be torn apart if I don't hold up my end. And what we see when they get up the next morning, and they build this altar, and the Israelite men, they do these offerings, and then blood is put in these bowls, and it's sprinkled on the altar, and then it's sprinkled on them. The Lord is saying to them very, very clearly the very same thing he was saying to Abraham, which is this, it's not going to be your blood. It's going to be mine. I'm going to give the law. I'm not fudging on my character. I'm not backing down from who I am. I'm going to keep my end of the vows perfectly. But when you don't, and you won't, I even think it's ironic that they're, they're, they're just getting the law. They haven't even had time to really break it yet. And they're already making sacrifices. Let's go ahead and get you sprinkled and covered. Why? Because he knows they're going to break it. And he's saying, you're going to need my blood. And I'm going to give you that because I'm bringing you to myself. And I've committed to do that. I've covenanted with you to do that. My mind is made up. I'm closing the distance. So for you to become like me, to be holy and righteous and pure, which if you're in Christ this morning, you are those things. You have Christ's righteousness. You're not waiting for it. You have his holiness. You have a new name. For him to give you that, he had to take our place. I'm going to be the one that's going to bleed instead of you. It's the gospel right here, smack in the middle of the Old Testament. There's a distance. What's going to close the distance? Another's blood, not our obedience. Why? 
We see this, this profound shift. It's so easy when you just read these stories like, well, that's, you know, it's an old story of the Bible. They are going from a place of you cannot even come close to this mountain right now. Moses, you can come up, but everybody else, meh. Did you, did you catch the end of the passage? Then Moses and Aaron and Nadab and Abihu and the 70 elders of Israel went up and saw the God of Israel. Under his feet were something like pavement made of lapis lazuli. Sorry. <laughs> I've been reading it all week and coming up with all sorts of different ridiculous ways of saying that. As bright blue as the sky, but God did not raise his hand against these leaders. And they saw God and they ate and drank. In 11 verses, we go from you can't even come close to the mountain to I want you to come up here. I want you to draw near. And why can you draw near? Blood. I don't, I don't want distance. It's like in Spanglish, no space, right? No space. I don't want any space. I want you near me. And it's because of the blood, that they're sprinkled by the blood that they can now draw near. They're clean, they're washed for, they're atoned. And this is not, again, it's not just reporting the facts of what happened. It's reporting the intent of God's heart for his people. I want you near me. I'm, you're not supposed to be afraid of me like that. I'm drawing you unto myself. And instead of striking you down, it says there, he did not raise his hand against the leaders of the Israelites. That, that term, if you were looking at the original language, it's literally the term for like retribution and, and punishment and condemnation and judgment. That's what it meant to raise your hand. And he's basically saying, I'm not going to raise my hand anymore. I've made you to see me, to be with me, to eat and to drink. And I'm making it possible for that distance to be closed and intimacy to be had. And they have a meal. They have a meal on the mountain. They eat and they drink and they're face to face with the Lord. And this meal, and this is one of these wonderful times where things actually line up and you, you realize, wow, the outline is on the same Sunday that we're actually you know, celebrating the Lord's Supper. This meal that they're celebrating points to the meal that we celebrate and we understand fully this morning. The sacrament of communion, Jesus himself saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. I'm the one who is torn apart. I'm the one whose blood sprinkles and makes you clean. He's saying that meal that they had, the meal that you and I have this morning, I know that you're like, we're in a school cafeteria. It would be kind of cooler to be at a fiery mountain, right? Y'all, don't miss this. This meal is actually more significant. God is as spiritually present this morning with us, and you could argue more so with us than with them that day. We can draw near in ways that they can't. So that meal points to this meal, which points to a meal, if you go read in Revelation, the very end of the Bible, so we go Exodus to the beginning of the New Testament, to the end of the New Testament, what's at the end of Revelation? The wedding feast of the Lamb. 
the angel said to me, write this, blessed are those who were invited to the wedding supper of the Lamb. And he added, these are true words of God. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. It's the exact same thing he's saying in Exodus. What we, we do when we come to this table is we're literally eating hors d'oeuvres for that feast, that eternal feast that one day we, will never end, face-to-face with the Lord, eating and drinking in his presence. It's the whole gospel right here in 11 verses. There's distance because of his holiness and his righteousness and our sin. How's that distance gonna get closed? His blood, not our effort. And as a result, we can now draw near. The last thing I said I was gonna talk about is this, that our obedience actually flows out of that. That our nearness is what causes us to begin to bear his likeness. Another way of saying that is, is when I behold him, I actually become like him, right? 2 Corinthians 3 says it like this, and we all who with unveiled faces, right? Moses was the one with the veiled face. We're the ones with unveiled faces. Contemplate the Lord's glory. Our being transformed, this is happening. (laughs) When I contemplate his glory, I am being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. When I behold him, when I contemplate the blood, I become like him. It's like if you've ever been around somebody where, where you begin to, uh, I used to get teased when we'd go to Ireland. Uh, we'd go on mission trips to Ireland. I would almost inevitably start talking like an Irish person within like the first three days. And Emily and other people would tease me about it because I'd start, you know, just start saying words the way that they say them. And it became a big joke, but it's, it's true. When you're around somebody, you actually begin to reflect them, right? And that's the picture that we have here is, is that he's drawing us near so that our obedience can flow out of that. You're going to reflect and bear the fruit of obedience, the fruit that I desire through your nearness to me. And here's how near he's drawn. We don't just have access to the Lord that that Israel didn't have at this time. Scripture says that he actually has made his home in your heart. That you are the indwelling temple of the Holy Spirit. You have a roommate now who lives inside of you. That's how close. And Ezekiel and Jeremiah say, that the Lord knew that unless he did that, that's how close I got to get. I got to get all the way in. If I don't give you a new heart and a new spirit and cause you to follow my decrees and laws, you won't do it. I'm not only giving you blood for the atonement, I'm giving you myself for the obedience. Hallelujah, right? That's why Jesus says in John 15, remain in me and I in you. Apart from me, you can do nothing. You cannot bear fruit apart from me. Not the fruit that I care about. 
And so what we're doing when we come to this table <clears throat> is we're coming to remain. We're coming to remain in the blood. This is literally, communion is a covenant renewal ceremony. <laughs> it's a meal that is, is us. It's like if you're married, retaking your vows. What we're doing when we come and we feed here is we're feeding on the reality that he did everything for our relationship with him. And then my obedience and my walk flows out of that, that he's done it all. And so we remember and we proclaim that when we come and we feed on this meal just as they did when they fed on theirs. And as a result, Hebrews says something really powerful happens. Listen to this. Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence, so we're not afraid, right? to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, the most holy place, the place that only one priest could enter one time a year and with perfect blood. You and I can go at any time by a new and living way opened for us through the curtain that is his body. Since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with full assurance. A sincere heart and full assurance that faith brings what? Having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience. There's no more condemnation. There's no more shame. Why? So that we can hold unswervingly to the hope that we profess and spur one another or on towards love and good deeds. Do you see? <laughs> I got to be sprinkled. <laughs> I gotta be washed, I have to remain. And it's out of that place that I spur you and you spur me on to obedience, to love, to good deeds. Our obedience flows out of the nearness, all right? So let's come to the table. I'm gonna pray for us here in a second. Uh, Paul invites us in this way in 1 Corinthians 11. He says, for I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, he took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and he said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after the supper, he took the cup, saying, this cup is the new covenant, the superior covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread or drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. He goes on to warn them and say, don't, don't do that in an unworthy manner and sin against the body and blood of the Lord and we should examine our hearts as we come to the table. So if you're in Christ this morning, um, this is the, the no trespassing signs off. <laughs> the, the no fear signs off. It, it's run to the table. <laughs> Feed at the table. Let him take care of your heart at the table. I don't have to fear condemnation anymore. I don't have to, in pride, think through my effort. I can earn his affection because I've already got his affection. And all the shame that I can bring to this table, he says, great, bring it all. Let me, let me wash it in the blood. Because this relationship is about what I've done for you, not what you're doing for me. If you're not in Christ this morning, I'd encourage you. He's inviting you to bring all that stuff to the mountain. And he's saying, I want, I want to drench it in my blood for the forgiveness of your sins and to be set free from believing that you could set yourself free. Come, feed 
after you've come to me. Because this meal is a declaration that I've, I've pushed all my chips in and I believe that not only is he the only way to be saved, he's the only way to be sane. So the invitation is to come. Come to him, draw near to him at this table, all right? So I'm gonna pray for us here in a second. And I'm gonna read something. The other mountain, you remember in Hebrews 12 there, it says you've not come to a mountain that cannot be touched and it's burning with fire and all these like horrible terrible, holy things. And in Hebrews, uh, it goes on to talk about the mountain we come to, Mount Zion. So I'm going to read that here in a second. Christopher is going to begin to lead us. But when, you, when you're ready, come down the middle. Isles, uh, again, this is not fast food. Uh, think wedding reception, right? Uh, come up, linger, uh, let the Lord meet you. Uh, if you need prayer, cross your arms and somebody would be absolutely happy uh, to step in and pray with you. Uh, when you're ready, put out your hands and the folks will serve you. If you're gluten-free, uh, we have that over here on the far side. If you need to stand, probably come to one of the sides. would be easier. Um, go back down the, uh, down the outside aisle. And if your kids are coming with you, which is, this is a great opportunity, even if they're not partaking of the sacrament, it's a great opportunity to bring them up with you, but help the server know that, hey, they're not partaking uh, this morning and help the server know that that's the case. Uh, but this is a family meal, and oftentimes uh, what we learn is by watching our family do things, right? And so maybe that's an opportunity for you to bring your children up uh, to see where you've put your hope uh, as they go on that journey themselves, okay? I'm going to pray for us. Lord, thank you uh, that we see in these 11 verses the whole Bible. <laughs> Distance, sin, fear, terror blood, distance closed. And this beautiful picture of a God who's saying, I've made you to be near me. Uh, I've made you um, to eat and drink and fellowship with me. That that's where this is all heading, to the wedding supper of the Lamb, Lord. And so I pray that uh, we just wouldn't do communion right now, Lord, but that you, by your, your Holy Spirit and your presence, would supernaturally uh, minister to our hearts through this means of grace that you instituted thousands of years ago and you say, do this often. You have to remember and you have to proclaim the truth of who I am because if not, you're going to get afraid of the wrong things. So set our hearts at rest in your presence, Lord, as we come to the table. Minister to us, Lord Jesus. Um, thank you. In your name, amen. But you, church, you have come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem. You, you have come to thousands upon thousands of angels in joyful assembly, to the church of the firstborn whose names are written in heaven. You have come to God, the judge of all, to the spirits of the righteous made perfect. To Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. Come to the table.